morning, Riverview. Good morning, uh, Riverview here and RCC there, watching at home. Glad to have everybody here with us this morning. Um, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, as we're at this morning. Uh, Luke chapter uh, 1, but as you're looking for Luke chapter 1, we're going to play a little game. Um, everybody ready to play a game? Yeah, okay. Um, who, uh, you ever play uh, Two Truths and a Lie? Anybody ever play that game? The, the, the premise of the game is I give you two things that are true, and then you have to de- decide with the third thing that I give if it's a truth or a lie. I'm going to try to convince you. Now, the pressure is really off of you. All you have to do is say if it's a lie or a truth. The pressure is on me to get it out right, right? The, the first truth is, is this. Are you ready for it? Yes, we're ready for it, Anthony. Yeah. The first truth is that God loves you. Okay? Pretty simple, right? Second, say what? Repeat. God loves you. First truth is God loves you. Second truth is that God puts people in your life to help guide you to where he wants you to go. And here's the third truth, that you can do life all by yourself. Now, let me, maybe I'll say those again. God loves you. Second truth is that um, uh, God puts people in your life to help guide you along the way that he wants you to go. Third truth is that you can do life all by yourself. Now, which one's the lie? I was so hoping you guys would say that because this conversation would have went completely different if, if it would have gone the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the lie is that we um, can do life all by ourselves, right? And I think we know that's a lie, but man, don't we do it? And we do, like we, we try to live life all by ourselves and try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and to live like we don't need anybody else. I've done it my own life, but here, the truth is this, that God's that God puts people in our life at the right people, at the right time, at the right place to lead us to the place that he wants us to go. He puts the right people in our life when we need them to get us to the place that he wants us to go. But we so often try to do it all on our own. I've tried to do it on my own. In uh, November of 1999, I gave my life to Jesus for the first time in my life. I, I trusted him for my salvation. And I was sitting there in the middle of my bed. It was the first time I realized that, man, I I really can't do life by myself. I I, I need somebody else, somebody who's paved the way in order to do that for me. Can't do it by myself. And so I threw up my hands and I said, God, my life is yours. You do whatever you want. But that moment would have never happened if it wasn't for a kid named Joey Jane. And we've talked about Joey Jane in here before. Um, But Joey, he led me to Jesus. And the way that he led me to Jesus was that uh, uh, hundreds of ping pong games sitting out in the middle of his cold garage, night after night after night, just spending time with him. Joe, jo, he, he, he led me to Jesus by uh, simply um, giving innings after innings. I can't tell you how many innings of Major League Baseball we played on old school NES Nintendo. Anybody play that game? Old school, baby, yeah. On, on, on an old, huge, um, it was state of the art at the time, I'm sure it was, but one of those big gray projection, flat screen televisions right there in the middle of his living room. Inning after inning, he led me to Jesus. Uh, Joey led me to Jesus by um, just being my friend in the midst of all the incredibly hard, awkward teenage years of my life where I just kind of was doing my own thing. November 1999, it doesn't happen if it wasn't for a kid named Jesus. My interaction and encounter with Jesus doesn't happen if it wasn't for a boy named, named Joey. In 2001, um, I'd been a believer for just a couple years uh, of my life, and um, I, I started to wonder, like, what am I going to do with my life? I had no real ambitions of what I wanted to do. Like, I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what it was. And so I started to pray. I said, God, what do you want to do out with, with my life? And, and I was really open, and, and I started to feel this call 
to, to ministry. Like, hey, go be a pastor. And I'm like, I have no clue of what that looked like. And so answering that call to ministry doesn't happen if it wasn't for a guy named Jeff Calloway. Jeff Calloway was my pastor. He had been pouring into my life for uh, about two and a half years or so, just dumping into me and investing. And so one uh, Sunday after uh, church, I ran over to his house and um, raided his refrigerator and, and sat down with him. And I said, hey, Jeff, I've been praying and I feel like God's calling me to be a pastor. I don't know what that means. And he took his big Tennessee volunteer arms and threw them around me and said, brother, I've been waiting for you to see that. And so he helped me navigate of what it would look like to go to college and uh, go to seminary and to, to, to answer the call to be a pastor one day. But answering that call doesn't happen if it wasn't for a guy named Jeff Calloway. In 2017, uh, I stood right here on this stage. I stood on this stage. I was being introduced as, as your pastor. That, that moment doesn't happen if it wasn't for a guy named Eric Willis. Eric Willis has been my mentor for uh, the past three, four, five years, something like that. And he has walked with me and, and helped me to understand what the, the gifts are that the Lord has given me to help me refine some of those things, to help me learn how to shepherd people and to shepherd people well. Whether I do that well or not, he walks alongside and says, hey, this is, this is how you do that. He, he, he helped me see that Nebraska and that the people of Ashland, that those were the people that you were the people that God had called to be my people, to walk alongside of, and to, and to help shepherd. He helped me walk through that, that process. And me answering the call to come here and be the pastor here, that doesn't happen if it wasn't for a guy named Eric. God puts the right people at the right time in our lives to lead us to the right places that he wants us to go, to answer the calls that he puts in and of our lives. And the Lord has strategically, over the years, he's put people in my life to help guide me into the call and the purpose that he has for my life. Now, that's the truth. The lie is that I could believe that I could have done all that all by myself and everything in between. The, the, the truth is that God puts people in our lives to lead us. The lie is that we can try to figure out how to do it all incredibly by ourselves. And I think you could say the same thing for, our life, for your life. You could look at your life and, and you could say the same thing. That you've got Joey's, you've got Eric's. You, you, you've got Jeff's in your life. That, like You are where you are today or you are who you are today because somebody has invested in your life. They've walked alongside of you and they've poured what they know into you, whether that's business-wise, whether that's spiritual-wise, whether that's sport-wise. You are where you are and who you are, large part because of people who have invested into your life, who point you in the right direction because the Lord puts the right person at the right time in your life to lead you to the right places He wants to go. God strategically places people in our lives for the purpose and the call that he has for us. And so maybe you have a piece of paper and, and you want to sketch this down, but, but I want to ask you this question. Who are the people that God's put in your life? Right? I mean, sometimes they're, they're abundantly clear, like, oh, I know. But when you start to think back and reflect, you can say, oh, oh, it was, it was Tiffany. Like, she, she invested into me when nobody else thought there, like, God could do anything in me. Take a minute just, just to think about it and write something. I see some pencils and pens that are working right now. And if you're not writing, maybe you can text it into yourself and, or at least catalog it. Just begin to think, like, who are the people that have invested into to your life? This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a guy named John the Baptist. We, we've been in the middle of, or we just started last week, this Follow the Star Advent series. And we're, we're kind of walking through this place where we see God has put, people, uh, put um, uh, people and situations. He's put light in the middle of our life, in the middle of darkness to help lead us to where he wants us to go. And this morning, what we're doing is we're looking at John. 
And, and John the Baptist is one of those people who has led people out of darkness and into the light or into the, um, the, the place there where God can begin to work in somebody's uh, life. I think that we could easily say, hands down, that uh, many who believed in Jesus in the first century, they did that. It wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for a guy named John, this John the Baptist, who came across and told people who thought that they could live life in and of their own self, doing everything by their own power, pulling themselves up by the, by the bootstraps, they wouldn't have been changed if it wasn't for a guy named John telling them to come and get ready and prepare them for this man Jesus who was coming to be the Savior of the world. That ministry, that change that happened in the first century, it doesn't happen without a guy named John. And so what I want to do is I want us to look at Luke chapter 1 here, starting in verse 5. I just want to read this story. And I'm going to pray as we hear God's word that his spirit moves and he begins to do some work in us, okay? Verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and she shall call and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the, the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when this time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Would you pray with me? Jesus, this has been the reading of your word. I pray that you would take it by your spirit and uh, uh, help us to grow, that you would do the work that you've already prepared for us in this room to, to happen. I pray, Father, that you would open ears, you would open hearts, and that you would begin to work and massage things into us that we weren't even expecting to be massaged into us this morning. So do that work in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me set the context uh, for us here real quick. Uh, Israel, they had been in this uh, waiting period uh, of the promise of the Messiah for centuries. But they, they had been waiting for a really long time. God had promised way back in the Old Testament that he was going to send a deliverer for his people. Actually, way back into Genesis 3.15, there's something called the Proto-Evangelion. 
right? You've got Adam and Eve. They sin. It's called the first gospel. It's when, it's when Adam and Eve were, were told that there was going to be a day when the, when, when the serpent was going to be crushed, that he was going to be stepped on by the heel of the woman, and that that heel was going to be bruised, but there was going to be a victory, and it's going to happen through the womb, the seed of, of, of this woman. And it was the gospel that was being preached all the way back into the garden. And then after that, century after century, story after story, prophet after prophet, people were waiting for the day that the Savior would come. People were waiting for the day that the Messiah would show up and that Israel would be relieved from all their stress, right? But they hadn't seen the Messiah yet. They're waiting. Has it been there? And it's been 400 years. 400 years that they've been waiting. 400 years, no Messiah showing up. 400 years, no prophetic word. They're not hearing from God. They haven't heard his voice in 400 years. And so the questions begin to wonder, does God care about us? And if he cares, why isn't he here yet? Why hasn't he answered? Why hasn't he seen our distress? Why hasn't he seen our 2020? Why hasn't he seen the pain that we're going through? There's emotional distress. There's spiritual distress. There is darkness that they are walking in, and they are waiting for the day that light steps into their world. 400 years they haven't heard from from God. They're holding on. They're holding on to some type of fragment of hope that one day he's going to come. Now, let's just be honest here. When when you're waiting, waiting for something to show up, you're waiting for anything, and there's no pain involved, and you really got nowhere else to be, waiting's really not that big of a deal. It's kind of an inconvenience, but it's really not that big of a deal. You can wait all day if you want to. But when you're waiting, and you're in pain, and you're waiting, and you feel like your world is falling apart, like help can't come fast enough. You don't want to wait a minute, a second, a nanosecond any longer. Waiting is hard, and that's where Israel is. They've been waiting, and they've been in this darkness, and say, he needs to come, and he needs to come now. And then, all of a sudden, the silence breaks. When that silence breaks, Zechariah and Elizabeth are two of the first ones who get to hear the voice of of the Lord. You'll notice here in in verse 6, the scripture says that both Zechariah and Elizabeth are are both righteous before God. They're walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, Zechariah is a priest, right? And, and uh, Elizabeth, she's from a line of priests. She's from the line of, of Aaron. The, these two, like they are walking with the Lord. They love the Lord. They've been faithful to him. It doesn't mean that they don't mess up. It doesn't mean that they don't make mistakes every once in a while. But the desire of their heart, the, the constant uh, flow of their life is, is to follow the Lord and to do what he says, to obey him. But here's the deal. These two are pouring out their hearts and they're serving the Lord together in ministry as best as they can. I think we could say, like we don't know a whole lot about Elizabeth here, but we know that she's faithful. But I, I think that we could say on some level, these two are a power couple, right? These two are, are doing ministry together. But scripture says that they've got a problem. They're walking and they're leading with an emotional limp. Luke says that they don't have any kids. They don't have any children here. And this may not seem like a big deal for, for those who have kids, or it may not seem like a big deal if you don't want kids. But in this scenario, this is a huge issue because they're old. <laughs> the, the, these two are advanced in, in years. Scripture doesn't tell us exactly how old they are, but it lets us know that they are advanced in their years. They're beyond what we would say would probably be the most normal age for bearing children. They are not spring chickens anymore is what Scripture is telling us. And not to have children in this time. Like, it's not like a, just a, a social, like, oh, maybe we will, maybe we won't. 
Like this is, this is a big deal. It's a sense of shame. It's a, sense, a sense of disgrace within the culture. That's why Elizabeth is going to say in verse 25 when she finds out that she's pregnant and when she has, <clears throat> when she has John, the Lord has removed my disgrace in the sight of people because it was such a stigma to walk around with no kids. There's a sense of shame and disgrace. But the, the deal is they haven't done anything wrong. They've actually been faithful. The only thing that they've done is they've been faithful and they've honored God in, in all things. And, and they've been carrying this burden of disappointment for so long while at the same time they've been trying to hold on to hope and they've been trying to lead others to hope. Now that's hard. But like if you're trying to hang on to hope and you're disappointed, but yet you're trying to lead other people to have hope in something too, right? It's one, it's one thing to lead people to hope when, when everything is right in your life. It's a whole nother story when you're trying to lead people to hope when everything in your life is, is, is falling apart. This is, this is a tiring thing. Leadership is hard enough when, when, when you're doing it without any problems, but trying to lead others towards hope when you're disappointed, this is incredibly taxing. And this is a space that Zechariah and Elizabeth are, are, are walking right now. This is what they're inhabiting. They are disappointed, but at the same time, they are obedient to the Lord. But for anybody who's wanted children and haven't had them yet, you, you know that there's so much that gets wrapped up into, into this idea. Disappointment sets in. Maybe there's some anger, there's some frustration that sets in. Feelings maybe of missing out. Questions of why, like, why, why wouldn't God let me have kids? I mean, did I do something wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Is God so displeased with the way that I've lived my life that he won't allow me to have kids? What did I do wrong? And when the Lord doesn't show up the way that we want him to, when we want him to, questions start to go, and it can become a huge internal struggle. And when there's this internal struggle that happens, what can begin to happen is we begin to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, if he's not going to do it for me, if he's not going to answer my prayer the way that I want him to answer my prayer, if he's not going to show up the way that I want him to show up, when I want him to show up, then I guess I have to do it myself. And then we buy the lie. He loves me. He puts people in my life to help guide me, but I still have to figure out how to do life my own because he's not answering my prayer the way that I want him to. We buy that lie. I want to trust God as I move forward, but he doesn't seem to have any interest in my life. He doesn't seem to care about what I'm going through. He doesn't want to give me the desires of my heart, especially when I believe that the desire of my heart is something that's good. It's not, I'm not asking for anything bad. I'm asking for something good. So why wouldn't he give me this? It can really be a struggle of faith. It can add strain to her faith. And Zechariah and Elizabeth here have been righteous. They've been God-honoring. They were waiting for the Messiah like everybody else, but while they're waiting in hopeful expectation of a Messiah, they're waiting for a son or a daughter. They're waiting to have children. But God often doesn't answer our prayer in the ways that we thought that he would. God often answers our prayers in ways that are laughable, that are inconceivable to us and maybe inconceivable to other people in, in, in ways that makes us scratch our head. Maybe he answers our prayer with the, per, the right person at the right time in the right place to lead us to where he wants us to go, but we didn't see it coming. Mary and Elizabeth, they have no idea how God's about to answer their prayer. I'm not Mary and Elizabeth. Did I, say, I said Mary and Elizabeth, didn't I? That Zechariah and Elizabeth, they have no idea how God is about to answer their prayer. No idea that the, the barrenness of her womb is about to become an incredible blessing for her and for the world. And so Zechariah, uh, he's, he's a priest. He's on duty. He's offering uh, incense in the altar. And uh, I, I had to look this up 
right? And to understand what, what's the significance of, of incense being offered in this moment that, that Zechariah is doing in the temple. And the whole idea of incense is, is that um, God's people would come to the temple and they would pray and the priest would be at, at the altar or uh, in, um, at the altar of incense and he would offer this incense and as the incense would burn, the smoke that would go up into the air would be like the, the, the raising, the rising of the prayers of God's people. And so in this moment, Zechariah, he's in the temple He's offering this incense. There's a group of people that are outside and they are praying. And so he's offering this incense or offering these prayers on uh, the altar here. And this prayer is rising for the, the people around. And I would be willing to bet that Zechariah is also raising his own prayers in that room as well. Praying for his family. Praying for wifey who's at home struggling. Praying, praying for his gal. Praying for the people that are around. I bet you that he was praying for his son. I don't think I have to stretch the scriptures in order to say that he was praying for a son. Because as he's praying there, and he's doing his thing, head down, just kind of praying away, all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up out of nowhere. Just like he showed up with Mary last week. Just out of the blue, Gabriel just pops into the room. About scares Zechariah to death in verse 12. He says, when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. Now, who wouldn't be, right? Because in, in an instant, <clears throat> Zechariah is praying, got his head down, excuse me. <clears throat> he's got his head down and he's praying. And then all of a sudden he blinks and then he opens his eyes and where there was nobody before, now there's somebody standing right in front of him. Like that would spook me to death. Like that's why I walk around corners real slow when it's dark. Because I don't want anybody jumping around like, uh, hey, is anybody back there? Right? Because I don't like to be spooked. Zechariah is in this moment, like his head down, and, and the angel, Gabriel, just pops up here. And Zechariah is terrified. But Gabriel, he's here because he's got fantastic news, just like we talked about last week. Fantastic news about a wonderful package that's coming. Fan hey, thanks, bud. Fantastic news about a wonderful package that's going to be for him, and it's going to be for Elizabeth. But it's also going to be, it's going to change their world from the inside out. But it's also going to have a huge impact on those who thought that they could walk through life and do it all by themselves. It's going to, it's going to change the world uh, uh, around them. And so Gabriel, he's like, relax, man. Look, look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, <clears throat> don't be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard. What, what prayer are we talking about here? What's the prayer that's been heard? Now, obviously, it's the prayer for the people. Like he's offering prayer for the people. And so that prayer has been heard. He's offering prayers for the people who are waiting for a Messiah. But I think this is much more specific. I think while he was in that temple praying, he was praying for his wife. He was praying for a son. Because look how Gabriel interacts with him in verse 13. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he'll be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
Saying John's going to come, and he's going to be the right person at the right time, and he's going to help people to get to the right place that God wants them to be. He's going to prepare people for the Savior. He's going to prepare people for Jesus to get their hearts ready for when Jesus... He's going to tell them and show them how to recognize Jesus when he shows up. From day zero, John had a mission and a call in his life to help guide people to Jesus. He had a mission to help prepare weary people, people who were walking in darkness, people who were waiting to see a light, people who were living out their 2020, hoping that things are going to get ready to change. He had a mission and a vision for his life to point people to the one that they had been waiting on. God sends people in our life to help guide us when we need to get out of darkness, when we need to follow through. Right people at the right time, at the right place. God was sending John to help point people to Jesus. Can you imagine hearing those words as a dad? Can you imagine, like, your son's going to grow up and he's going to lead people to Jesus. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah, the one that you've been waiting on. He's going to help prepare the way for him. Like, no pressure, dad, right? It's hard enough to be a dad. We feel so much internal pressure to raise up boys and to raise up girls who love the Lord and who are following the Lord. There's a lot of pressure there, but can you imagine? Your son's going to grow up. And he's going to lead people. He's going to lead people to follow Jesus. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. No pressure there. He's like, hold on, man. Like the Messiah is coming. Really, that's, that's great news. My boy, he's going to get to prepare the way. Well, that's great. Oh, hold on. Hold up. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Like, how do you leave that? How, how do you prep your kids for something like that? I don't know about you, but man, I, I'm getting ready to cross the 40 line here in uh, a few months. And it's getting hard. See, I, like, I, I sleep wrong. I twist my hip or I move my foot a certain way at night and I wake up and I feel it for the next two weeks. Like it's, it's crazy. Like you feel everything now. And then my kids will come up and they'll, they'll say, hey dad, can we like get down on the ground and do that kind of wrestling thing that we like to do? I'm like, I, yeah, I think we can do that. Do we have to do it right now? Like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, okay. I know I'm going to feel this later, okay? It hurts. So Zechariah, like, he's no spring chicken. He's beyond 40, maybe, right? And so the natural question, he's wondering, how's this going to happen? Gabriel, I think I need to let you on a secret that you probably already know, but you're not acting like you know. Like, I'm old. My wife, she's advanced in years, and this kind of stuff doesn't happen to old people. We don't get to do this sort of thing. And Gabriel says in verse 19, listen. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to tell you this good news. But because you didn't believe me, here's what's going to happen. You're not going to be able to speak until John's born. Like at least nine months, you're not going to be able to say anything. You're not going to be able to get a word out. Can you imagine not being able to talk for almost a year? Can you imagine that? Like for some of us, that's like the death knell, man. Because like, no, like this is pre-social media. There, there's, there's no texting. There's no Instagram. There's no Snapchat. There's no Facebook. There's, there's none of that stuff, right? And for some of us, like, man, I'd rather die than not be able to talk to somebody. Like he's not able to talk for like nine months at least here. This is crazy. And so he's coming out of the temple. He's like, guys, you're never going to believe what just happened to me in there. Like, I was in there, and all of a sudden, like, there was this Gabriel, and he's telling me all this stuff about John, and, and, and so he's talking a mile a minute, and all of a sudden, he realizes my lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. Nobody's hearing what I'm saying. And so they're looking at him, and they can understand that something amazing happened, but they have no idea what he's talking about in this moment. 
He's trying to get him to believe something that he just found out. What, what might the Lord be trying to get you to believe right now? Believe about himself? To believe about where he's leading you? What might he be getting you to try to believe about what he's trying to work into your life right now? Is it just so hard to maybe believe because it's been hard to believe throughout history for you because he hasn't shown up the way that you want him to? Is it so hard to believe that because maybe this one thing that he's asking or he's leading you to, it just feels so big that this can't possibly be what he's asking me to do? What is, what is he trying to get you to believe right now? Does it seem so inconceivable? It's kind of hard for Zechariah in this moment to understand because he's personally never even seen anything like this before. Sometimes it's easy to follow when you know what the end game's supposed to be, when you know what the end picture is going to be, but it's not easy to follow when you don't know what all, how all your pieces are going to fit together in the puzzle. You don't know what it's going to be like at the end, right? This is a guy, he's serving God on a regular basis in the temple. He loves the Lord. He's living faithfully for God, but he doesn't have a blueprint for how this thing is supposed to work. Imagine you're sitting there at the table and somebody brings a, uh, a huge... Um, thousand, five thousand piece puzzle set and just dumps it on the table and you've got pieces everywhere and they set the, the, uh, the box right there and so you can see the picture and so you, it's going to take you a while but you start taking those pieces and you know what you're going for and so that's the picture, okay, this is where the nose of the horse goes and this is where the flowers go and so like it's hard, it takes time but you can see what the end of the game is but imagine the same scenario happens and somebody brings a box of all the puzzle pieces and just throws them out, five thousand pieces sitting on the table but they don't give you the box. You don't know what you're shooting at. You don't know what the end goal is supposed to be. You've got 5,000 pieces, but you don't know what it's supposed to look like. There's no blueprint for what you're working on. And so you're jamming pieces together. Does that fit? Does that fit? This is what John or what Zechariah is, is working through here. He's got pieces, but he doesn't know the uh, end of the game here. It can be frustrating trying to figure out what God's doing in, in, in our lives when we can't see the whole picture but the truth remains, God loves you. He's got good in mind for you. And the second truth remains is that he puts people in your life to help lead you and guide you in the process. When the puzzles are, when, when you don't have the, the box to look at, he puts people in your life to start putting those pieces in place to help show you how to navigate through this. He loves to put people in your life. He loves to navigate the plan that he has for your life by the people that he puts in your life. It may not be at your speed. It may be not be the route that you are expecting to, to take. It may not be the route that you would have chosen to take. But over time, he reveals more and more of the picture along the way as we wait on him and he, we trust the path that he's put for us. The lie would be that we can do it all by ourselves, that we don't need the people that God puts in our lives. I want you to hear how the end of this story works out. Look at chapter 1 there again at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise a child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet or he asked for the iPad, right? So give me the iPad. I want to write down something. And he wrote, 
His name's John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of, of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with them. Verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, I love this because he stops talking to Israel, the people, and he starts talking to his son. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. This is the message that Gabriel had to Zechariah about John. This is the message that is from old. This is what the prophets prophesied over and over and over again. This is a fulfillment that John was the one who was going to prepare the way. He was the one that God was sending. It says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Um, if you got paper, I want you to write down um, Luke chapter 3. And I want you to write down uh, Mark chapter 1. Because when we're done here in just a few minutes, you're going to want to read those chapters. Because you're going to get to see how this plays out. He doesn't stop. It doesn't stop there just as, as a baby. That John is going to grow up. And he is going to prepare the way for, for Jesus. Right? He's going, to, he's going to do everything that's been prophesied uh, about him. And chapter 3 of Luke in Mark chapter 1 is going to tell that story. Because the next time you see John, he's going to be hanging out in the wilderness, just like verse 80 says. He's going to be out in the wilderness and, and people are going to be flocking to him. And they're going to be flocking to him because he's figured out how to, the, the best practices to draw people in. He's not going to be uh, drawing people in because of his rugged good looks and his handsomeness and his debonair dressing code. Like that's not going to happen because this dude is going to be out in the wilderness. He's going to be wearing camel hair. He's going to be eating wild honey and, and munching on locusts. That is not something that draws people in, all right? It's just not. People are going to be flocking to him because he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and he's going to be teaching them and preparing them about Jesus. He's going to be talking about the Savior who's going to come. He's going to show them how to understand the Savior when he's coming. He's going to be pointing to them. He's going to tell people that there's going to be one who's coming, who's sandal straps, and I'm not even worthy to bend down and unlatch. He's going to be telling people about the Savior. He's going to be pointing people to the right way. He's going to be the right person at the right time to point people in the right direction that God wants for them. Everything that happens in the first century, the people who come to trust Jesus, the people who begin to follow him, doesn't happen without a guy named John. None of it happens without a guy named John. The world was being prepared for their Savior because God had put John on a mission to help prepare. And I, I'm going to go out on, on a, 
a little bit of a limb here and say, God has done the same work in you. He's given you a message of hope. He's given you a message of joy and peace to deliver to somebody else, to help somebody else see and understand who Jesus is. I'm guessing that you've had a, a Jeff or an Eric. I'm guessing that you've had a Tiffany or a Sarah that has invested into your life and has helped point you to Jesus. And, and the, the same spirit that John had is the same spirit that Christ has put in you to, to share the good news. Like I said, it, it's been a rough year, right? 20, 2020 has been a rough year. There, there's no way about it. We feel like we've been walking in the darkness. We have the hope that, that Jesus came once and that he's going to come again. But there are people all around us who are still weary. There are prayers going up like incense from the altar that are rising to the Lord of people who are in pain, who are in angst, people who are hurting, who need hope, who need joy, <clears throat> who need a Joey, who need a Jeff, who need an Eric to show up in their life to help point them to the hope that you have inside of you for you to give a reason for the hope that's inside of you. And so I'm going to challenge you this week. I'm going to challenge you to go out and be an Eric, to go out and be a Joey, to go out and be a Sarah in somebody's life. And I know COVID is a deal right now, right? And it's serious, and I don't want to knock that, but there are so many people disconnected from the hope of Christ. There's so many people disconnected from the hope of community. There's so many people that are, that are emotionally walking in darkness because nobody's stepping into their life right now. And their prayer is going up off the altar. And they're crying out. And they need you to show up. And so I'm going to challenge you this week, just, just this week, for you to think about the people that you have in your life that desperately need to know who Jesus is. Desperately need to know. And, and for you to, to make a time to maybe send them a text, give them a call, maybe to invite them over for coffee or for hot cocoa if coffee's not your thing, to sit down with them, socially distance, um, to, be, to be safe, right? But to sit down and invest in somebody's life. And if, if that doesn't work for you, maybe you invite them into your home or um, maybe the person that you've been praying for over the last couple of months that you, for some whatever, some whatever reason, you don't feel adequate enough. I want to let you know that if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you are perfectly adequate to share Jesus with somebody. But if for whatever reason, you just don't feel adequate, that you invite somebody to church, that you invite them here where we get to talk about the love and the grace of Jesus, where we get to spend time together. We've got a thanks, or not Thanksgiving, yeah, Christmas Eve service coming up on, on, on the 24th, 4 and 5.30. Invite them in so they can hear why they believe. John writes so that so that we can know, so that we can know that we know that we know. And so I'm going to challenge you this week to, to be a Joey, to be an Eric, to be the right person at the right time, and to go where God sends you to follow him there. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Jesus, thanks for your word. Thanks for taking somebody who is was eternally broken bringing them into your family and, and using to, to teach truth I am deeply flawed in so many ways but your word is not and you are not I want to pray that your word has reached out to people in, in our room this morning and that your Holy Spirit has been doing work and 
Father, that you are drawing people to yourself and that you are transforming people, that you are um, inviting people into this wonderful, wonderful adventure of following you wherever you call and being available to you wherever you call to help people out of darkness and into the light. I pray, Father, that this week that you would challenge us, that you would prompt us, that you would nudge us, that you would open up conversations that we might not have, but you would lead us into these and we would confidently stand for you and but graciously talk about the truth of Jesus and the hope it is, that, the hope that we have with other people. So let us go out this week, Lord, by the power of your spirit. We can't do it in and of our own strength. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.